You're listening to Hacks. It's a tech podcast. My name is Simon. I'm joined by Rosemary. Hey, everyone. Morale. Hi. And Rob. Hey, everyone. We're back with um, what I expect will be a markedly less sexy episode than last time. Although, I guess making it about sex doesn't make it inherently sexy. I guess that depends on your feelings about clowns. And frankly, that's none of our business. <laughs> and also, like, having a bunch of... Well, I'm going to speak for myself. Having someone like me talk about sex is boring. Morale, you're the only person on this podcast who has verifiably had sex. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um we we bored you enough with our feelings and thoughts about sex last week so we're not going to do it again this week um this week we have a a totally different topic we we want to sort of try to tackle it's it might end up being a little bit all over the place but i think it might be fun um the irony is well i don't know if it counts as irony but about an hour no two hours before we sat down to record this episode um, an episode we've been planning to do for, I think, over a month. Uh, another, an, a major political podcast that I will not name, uh, decided to tackle the subject of Gen X and culture jamming, in particular throwing a lot of uh, barbs, I think well-deserved ones, at Adbusters, which is in fact still going. Um, and culture jamming and the internet is a topic that we wanted to, have been wanting to get into for quite a while and specifically rosemary you've wanted to, t- to talk about it for quite a while i just thought that was kind of funny people are going to think that we ripped them off or something i just want you to know that um that's that's not true and um we do plan to sue oh yes i want i want to hear your thoughts on the uh why the barbs against uh ad busters are unjustified i probably agree with you but um, before that, um, I'll just say that the, the title of this episode is What Was Culture Jamming? And the inspiration was a, um, a prank by some kids somewhere in the States who noticed that their local McDonald's lacked uh, uh, decor. Uh, they, in the decor of this McDonald's, they have photos of people. Um, and none of them were Asian, so these were Asian kids, so... Um, they very cleverly um, impersonated McDonald's employees and put up a slick-looking picture of themselves uh, in- inside their local McDonald's. And then they tweeted out uh, uh, Day 52 um, saying, uh, Nobody, nobody's taken this down yet. And uh, that that's a great prank. It speaks to the faceless uh, corporation, corrects the oversight of the faceless corporation, and um, it's got 1 million likes on Twitter, so um, it was successful, but also uh, it's it's a little bit of a, just a sweet little prank, and I think pranks used to be, um, have more disruptive uh, intent and effect, and I use the word disruptive advisedly because as we all know we live we in, in a miserable culture of a disruption and in, in, in which the provocateurs are not uh, from uh, the art and culture sector but uh, they o- are occupying the highest offices of the United States and also now in Ontario we have an, uh, another provocateur idiot uh, populist government um, and so this, I just want to point out, 
as maybe listeners will know, is a, a thesis of a book called um, Kill All Normies by Angela Nagel, who said that, um, yeah, that the this tradition that goes back to the 18th century um, would be called uh, Shock the Bourgeoisie in earlier times. And then the Sex Pistols, they were great examples of, uh, of cultural provocateurs and Malcolm McLaren. And uh, now it's just a bunch of internet trolls, which is really c- kind of depressing. And, and number one troll is um, Donald Trump. So there's a lot I take exception to there. Uh-huh. I think there's, I think the idea that, <laughs> what is the goal of of, uh, of these shock tactics? What is the goal of, of this form of reaction? Because if the goal is to change things, I think it's been a miserable failure by any metric. Like... You know, the Sex Pistols, who were on EMI, of course, were 77. And then how many years after that do you get the reign of Thatcher? That's just one example. Yeah, that's the thesis of Adam Curtis, that the cultural posturing drained off political energy. Yeah. Hypernormalization. Yeah. All that that good stuff. Um, Yeah, just to kind of jump in, I I mean, like Simon, I kind of take... I guess I see it differently. I mean, I think... Culture jamming is interesting because in, in some ways, you know, uh, like you say, it has kind of these these long, st- it, it emerged kind of through, uh, has a, a very kind of long history in many ways. Um, but it also kind of really um, came out in this kind of capillary and then it very kind of um, interesting manner uh, with the situationists, right, and the interventionists. Um, but this whole kind of attempt to counterbrand, I think, can still be um or involve kind of the development of essentially kind of action um that could enable kind of um the production of new worlds new subject positionings um new liberatory spaces um that kind of essentially kind of emplace people's rights um where they don't exist that said i think this mcdonald stunt that you're speaking of um rosemary kind of illustrates some of the complexities of culture jamming um, today. And I haven't listened to the episode that, that Simon's talking about, the other um, podcast, which, you know, is a great podcast. Um, but I imagine they'd have a lot of really interesting things to say about cultural jamming. But one of the things that I find really kind of um, confusing to me as a person, but also kind of problematic, I guess, um, is that, you know, it's this very kind of variegated activity um, where, you know, these people can essentially operate uh, simultaneously in kind of like additive and subtractive ways to emplace those particular kind of alighted subject positionings. Um, and in the McDonald's instance, yeah, okay, it's kind of the sweet prank where these two kids look around the McDonald's, they see that there's no um, representation that kind of resonates with them. So they, they spend their own money, they, they put up a, a little billboard, um, it stays up for a while, they get a bunch of likes, um, they end up going on the Ellen DeGeneres show, or I don't know what her show is called, but the comedian's show, um, and find out that not only will they participate in McDonald's new branding campaign, but they get $25,000 each. Um, and I think this really kind of captures um, some of the problematic that, that Simon was pointing to, where the jamming, you know, in it's one way, in this case with this McDonald's ad, um, inserts kind of, you know, Asian American um, identities into essentially kind of the one of the most stable and um, 
uh, visible global brands, right? Um, and it kind of, in that sense, illustrates this form of generative power that carves out like a, a formative space, if you will. But in doing the prank, the pranksters also enlist kind of this very subtractive st strategy of capitalism where, you know, a $25,000 check and their own campaign essentially kind of minimizes their the potency of their original political commentary. Um, you know, oh, no Asian representation, fine, let's change it here. Now you're enlisted into the, you're, you're part of the problem, essentially. So this flow of power is something that at once is empowering, but also dispossessing in some ways, I think allows capitalism to take root and control. Um, and whatever emancipatory spaces were cleaved open as a result of that jamming are now essentially kind of patched over with a shitty check. <laughs> so I didn't know about the Ellen DeGeneres uh, coda to that little story, but that's great. It was, uh, it loaded up after the first video ended. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the algorithm told me to watch it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the only thing is I would take exception to your characterization as a shitty $25,000 check. Well, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, <laughs> McDonald's gets for like modeling. I don't know how much they pay their models, but like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like. I, I'm sorry we erased Asians. Here's $25,000. Yeah. But actually, that, that kind of like. Well, okay, so one of my objections is like, I don't really buy that it was a potent political statement in the first place. Well, to them it was. I get, Okay, I, what, what is a potent political statement? I mean, I just don't know that, that. I don't know that what does or does not appear on the wall of a McDonald's counts as like a substantive area to make a commentary on like i guess it can be but i don't know here's this sort of gets to the heart of my my major objections about um culture war in the moment and a lot of this plays out of, over the internet and on twitter so i think it's relevant to this podcast it feels like so many people have given up on the idea of substantive change so now the only battleground is in culture and in advertising and in this case, in the wall of a fucking McDonald's, like you shouldn't care what McDonald's thinks of you. You shouldn't care what images they're putting out there. They are the enemy. They are bad. They're destroying our bodies and the planet and making them better at what they do is probably bad. It's probably a worse thing. You know, it's it gets you a payout and it gets you on Ellen at the end of the day. The other podcast that we're alluding to, um, one the the word that that they kept coming Just back say to. Say the name. Okay, fine. It was on Chapo. Um, we like Chapo. We do. Um, so yeah. constantly biting. The major us. objection. Oh, the, the the major <laughs> objection that was raised to sort of '90s and early aughts era culture jamming, as embodied in Adbusters, um, is that it was. I mean, not only ineffectual, but also relentlessly sanctimonious. So yeah. it just, so of course, over time, it just wasn't an effective tool for, you know, they came out with their black spot sneaker or whatever, which was probably the height of their sanctimony. And of course, it went absolutely fucking nowhere, as far as I can tell. Um, so I don't. And was, was that, was that, uh, was that by accident that they're from Vancouver? Is there a connection? There? I don't, I, I didn't and, even know they were from Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're from Endless Vancouver. sanctimony. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and I and what and their point and what I would agree with is that like I think, you know, the the anti corporate stance of you know the culture jammers and adbusters and all that is correct. The problem was just it was tone and it was and it was the fact of the lack of focus in the critique because it was strictly yeah. anti consumerism. But even that is a really narrow 
is a really narrow critique because if you're telling people that oh it's bad to want to consume things it's bad to want stuff then what's the alternative right like the the alternative is pretty fucking dark and dismal and not fun so you're in it's like no wonder none of this ever went fucking anywhere and i'm amazed adbusters still gets made to be honest it's a bit boring to be honest if i can step into the egghead discussion here i made the ultimate sacrifice for this podcast and paid five canadian dollars to purchase the latest issue of adbusters and on page 13 i'm greeted with um the facebook f logo but made into a swastika oh shit (laughs) yeah i know it's pretty powerful shit and then over here in the middle there's a picture of the nike swoosh and then underneath it says unswoosh whoa (laughs) whoa holy shit and then and then later on it just says um uh in like newspaper ransom print uh tear down the business schools and so I just feel like, I don't know, was there a time where this felt dangerous? It, because no. the shit that we're dealing with now, like, you can load up Twitter and any given uh, page is, is going to uh, present you with ideas, or images that are more challenging to who you are, or, like your beliefs, than this. You can literally go on Twitter right now and at Marco Rubio and tell him to eat your shit. Like, you can do that now. You don't need ad busters. <laughs> Why would you need that? <laughs> let me ask a let me ask a question then. I mean, Rob, you just read Adbusters. I want to know who do you think is the audience for Adbusters in two in twenty eighteen? Such a good question, right? Because I first encountered Adbusters when I was like a a fresh faced young university student uh, encountering the outside world and like new ideas for the first time. And like, I'll admit, I was a loser. It blew me away. Well, blew me away is a little bit strong. Like, it was impressive that people were out here thinking these thoughts and like smashing our preconceptions about the world that we live in. But I really feel like, um, you know, the, I, I can't imagine a person who's still impressed by ad busters uh, or even, you know, the kids who are coming into universities or who are in high school uh, possibly encountering ad busters for the first time who haven't already seen the, the ideas that have flowed forth from it, right? Like we're, several levels down in terms of culture jamming um uh, using imagery as a weapon um than we were you know back in in our days when we were young right and so i i don't know who's buying it they're begging for money on their website so clearly not a lot of people did it feel like it had evolved at all or did it feel like you were picking up something from the mid 2000s right where i left off right i mean as you noted (laughs) before like the the messages haven't really changed right and like the craft behind them hasn't really changed like the the people who are pictured in the collages or whatever, they have changed, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg wasn't a cultural figure back, you know, in the day or whatever. But um, the idea that, um, you know, corporations are just trying to, you know, colonize your mind and tell you things that you don't need and uh, you can tell them to go fuck off. Like that's the exact same message that we'd, we've been hearing from them for I don't know how long have they been around decades yeah a few decades i mean and and again this is what frustrates me about the culture jammers and adbusters in general is like there's nothing wrong about any of those individual messages it's just i i, I guess i would i i, I want to throw this question out again what has culture jamming done for us yeah i mean i i take issue with with culture jamming um i don't know if it's effective um but that said i think part of the problem is that I mean, in many ways, 
if no one is trying to to thoughtfully culture jam then where does that leave us right mm-hmm. um i'm thinking in particular like i mean one of the problems with with culture jamming and in, in all of its forms um again is that you know it ha- takes essentially kind of it subverts these um, consumptive practices, these consumptive kind of media and advertising um, practices um, through a variety of mechanisms, right? Whether those are kind of um, visual um, or satirical buildscapes, um, community, communitarian thinking. So in particular, I'm thinking about, you know, Burning Man, for instance, in Black Rock City. It started out as this particularly kind of anti-consumerist thing. It was disrupting um, the way that kind of most people understood what community should should mean um, and under, you know, present day capitalism at the time. But now that's too been colonized by by capitalism, right? I mean, um, and it's part and parcel of consumptive capitalism at this, at this point. It's costly. Um, it's exclusive. It's It's got this ridiculously judgy questionnaire if you try to buy a ticket. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, oh, hey there. Like I, I loaded it up just out of interest because I was thinking about cultural genetic, like, hey, what's, what's like kind of how do I understand it today, right? Um, and I was thinking graffiti obviously is one way to do it. Um, and, you know, Adbuster-esque type commentary, which I find honestly intellectually lazy as fuck. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, a lot of people I know still go to Burning Man and, and see it as kind of like a, a really meaningful in- intervention, if you will. And so I go to, to Burning Man to see if I can buy a ticket just for fun. I would not be able to or go. Um, and, you know, says, oh, hey there, it looks like you're interested in going to Black Rock City in 2018. While a ticket is a key piece of the Burning Man puzzle, it takes so so much oh more my to God. truly prepare and participate. Before you start making Playa Dust Angels, please answer a few questions. And then they say your answers are completely anonymous and have no impact on your ability to access or purchase tickets. So the first question, is, there, aren't, there aren't many, but it's like essentially these multiple choice questions um, where Burning Man is a music festival, a week-long rave, an event in the desert, and a global cultural movement, or a curated commercial experience. And like, you know, you click on one and then let's say like and then it saves your responses right so if you got it wrong you got it wrong so um, morale and so sorry yeah no she she presumably deliberately got this one wrong and put down that it's a curated commercial experience and it actually came up with a <laughs> nag screen to give her more detail about what actually is burning man before she could proceed but I, I think this this kind of is illustrative of, of the problems with not just culture jamming um, or even kind of disruption in general, but like the way that we kind of make these interventions um, under capitalism today is that no matter like you have to find these these spaces of these openings, these spaces of possibility and like essentially kind of open them up and keep them open somehow without letting them be, you know, um, again colonized by by capitalist but practices. that's impossible it can't I don't be know done if it is it cannot be done that's not true it has never been done that's not true see here's an interesting like i think but i think here's where um a lot of do-it-yourself um even distributed systems have the capacity to allow for those types of liberatory spaces if if the initiatives are thoughtful given given um, to me let's so, hear them let's let's hear it I remember chatting with a a person uh, a few years back who was essentially loading up Raspberry Pis with various, um, like, uh, blockchains um, from various currencies. For the uninitiated, that refers to a very small and cheap computer, not a pastry? Yeah, not a pastry. And then he would just ship them out to, like, uh, to, to journalists and, and, um, you know, folks in, in conflict zones who had some mobility and then, like, essentially would they would use that as 
a way to to make you know on the ground interventions. Whether or not that's successful, I think is um, beside the point that I'm trying to make, which you can easily refute. But you know, it, I think it's useful to continue to try to do things that are um, you know that open up kind of these spaces of liberation. Yeah, it's a, it's an imaginary space. Obviously, can have bigger effects, although it doesn't have direct political effects, which is what you seem to be looking for, Simon. I have another example that I think is quite effective, and I'll use it. It's from my own city that I live in, the neighborhood that we'd like to live in. Um, so we there's a place in, in, in Victoria um, where, you know, well, there was a lot of graffiti, just tags, nothing interesting. Um, and one way to kind of ensure that there was like a beautified space for the neighborhood um, that was also communitarian um, and didn't kind of um, just shit all over kind of any kind of artistic attempt was that they just painted the telephone poles. And they do a, mm-hmm. like it's community painted poles and they're, they're beautiful and they're totally distinct. And, and like, you know, sometimes they're like flowers on them, there's all kinds of things. And so I think these kind of, and you know, another example would be, um, you know, the, what's it called? There's that big placemaking festival in Portland um, in the summertime where people get together and, you know, they build community libraries, they paint sidewalks. That's, that's really nice. That's just so nice. It is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. I think that's lovely. It's not what I'm thinking about at all, though. You're not satisfied unless we smash the state. Not really, How do you no. smash the state if not in... How do so... telephone poles smash the state? Another well, example. Is... <laughs> yeah, Nuit Blanche, which just happened in Toronto. Um, and who sponsors Nuit Blanche? Who sponsors Nuit Blanche? <laughs> uh, they lost their title sponsor. So, oh, that's good. Uh, it's the city pays for it. But, but they've done a very good thing as they diversified into the suburbs and um, it's become more like a grassroots thing. Um, and uh, so I think if you have co- different communities like uh, Scarborough or Don Mills using this format to tell stories about their communities or have a community event, I think, I mean, that's not smashing the state, but I think it's a good use of culture to, I don't know what, but it, I think it does empower. I don't. I think it does empower those communities in, Look, in a meaningful way. I, I mean, I don't mean to sound dogmatic, but I will say that, like, I think the ultimate problem with culture jamming for me is that it's not enough. It's not enough to say this is bad. You've got to. You have. You have to have a counter proposal. And w- ultimately, what I remember as their counter proposal was here. Here's an ethical sneaker. Here's a different form of consumption for you that is actually just a bad parody of a Nike sneaker, as it turns out. That was the best they could do to offer a counterproposal. Other than that, their solution was just to say, all this stuff is bad and you should feel bad. So I'm glad that there are things that are being offered that are not simply... Um, well, it's not It's not only you should feel bad, but you can identify with that critique and then that, that becomes sufficient in itself, which is, seems to be what you're saying, right? Yeah, without ad busters, would we take it as a given? Uh, that we need to, you know, burn the banks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't, I, I think don't most know. people still well, don't yeah, take that as a given, to be honest. But I think, I mean, you know, I forgive you, Simon, because <laughs> you're betraying that you are truly a Marxist um, and that you think that there's a bad and good. You talk a lot in these kind of very okay. oppositional terms. Right. Um, and I think it goes back to this question of like, okay, how do you understand desire? If you understand desire to be essentially kind of uh, resulting in kind of, you know, a uh, shame or, or even lack something that's momentary, but that like leaves you feeling nothing, um, then, you know, sure, you're going to end up 
feeling pretty hopeless. But if you think of desire in a different sense, maybe in a monistic sense, um, then you know you can think of desire essentially as kind of the amplification um, of your body to do something, um, and then it's no longer a bad or good thing. It's just a thing, um, and when it becomes a thing that's not bad or good, um, I think you can find more spaces. Um, like you know post-capitalist futures i guess or you can imagine post-capitalist futures differently yeah but like at the rate we're going the post-capitalist future is a fucking wasteland like i can't think about you know desire and like ambiguous versions of bad and good because like the heat death of the planet is around the corner if something doesn't happen you know yes once again we're an accelerationist podcast (laughs) in case you don't know that I don't know. I just this is where the we're 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 hitting sort of the conflict areas in the hacks initiative because um <laughs> there's I'm just not down with uh how can I put this? There is there are some strains on the academic left that I just do not have patience for, <laughs> but I just try not to talk about it because they drive me absolutely insane. And this is I think one of those one of those fisher points where I'm just like I don't sympathize with this point of view at all i know and I, I i get that i mean i think it, it's no one's come out here really kind of um staunchly in favor of uh, uh ad busters or even culture jamming um as a f- mechanism for intervention with that said i mean i i would once again encourage i encourage myself because i don't do this very often um and maybe everyone here to try to think through okay like okay what would be effective okay so you have people in the room who know some things about technology who maybe work in the space in the ecosystem if you will you surely can use your imagination to envision some something you could do or something people could do Something people could do. Lord. <laughs> also the title of my memoir. <laughs> I mean, I do think we're starting to see that happening in some places. I think that um, in in very concrete terms, I'm noticing um, left groups doing less to splinter and also um, developing uh, real policies around uh, informational and operational security, which I think has been a massive undoing for left groups um you know you need to think about that you need to think about how you how you interact with the internet and what you're putting out there and why um and that involves a total reorientation of our you know of of how many of us use social media just to bring this back to technology and whatnot which is supposed to be our bread and butter so i am i am seeing encouraging signs sort of on the margins um but I think that, you know, what you can actually do that's helpful, I mean, I don't think I can speak about that in general terms. It's so specific based on what even what country you're in. I mean, what I think you should do in Canada is different from what I think you should do in the States. And what I think you should do in the States, I don't think I can talk about in public. Well, it's a good thing that this isn't public. <laughs> yeah, really, right? <laughs> no, I think it's a good uh, good range of um, uh, perspectives that, that we... Um... Yeah, uh, presenting on this topic and it's complicated uh, we didn't really even talk about the um, the troll culture that that's oh we can that, talk and, about uh, that Angela. yeah we can talk yeah, about it, troll culture I mean I that. think trolls are really interesting creatures trolls as in the mythical <laughs> creatures <laughs> I mean uh, to, uh, um, to get back to uh, yeah maybe we should, re- should we should backtrack a bit and talk about um 
the 2010s form of culture jamming, which, as you as you were saying, uh, Rosemary is really coming from the side of reaction instead. I mean, I have really mixed feelings about that because I think sometimes the extent to which it is an actual political force, I think, is somewhat overstated. Um, like, if it weren't for trolls on the internet, would Donald Trump have been elected? I don't know. If it weren't for trolls on the on the internet, would Rob Ford have been elected? Probably. Yeah, I don't think that was a big factor here in Ontario. I, mean, I haven't even heard anyone argue that, really. I think it's almost as much of a handy boogeyman as it is like a genuine cultural force, to be honest. The troll? The, 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 in terms of actual real-world impact, other than, of course, the incels who have fucking murdered people. Those, that's real. Um, and I'm not saying that nothing that happens on the internet is real. I mean, I think that there's a, a very concerted um, program of right-wing engineering of right-wing use of ideology to to just um, uh, get the most amount of wealth into the fewest number of hands. I think that was the program. But, I mean, are we talking about just, like, random... Like, like I feel like this is what always needs to be teased out, is, like, trolls on the internet doing their version of culture jamming. To my mind, that is fueled by, you know, social determinants. That's fueled by narrowing futures... And just the sense that uh, there's nothing good on the on the horizon that you are clearly not going to do as well as or better than your parents. To my mind, that's always going to have negative repercussions. You seem to be talking about, um, you know, right wing think tanks or other um, other actors sort of going behind the scenes and funding, for instance, um, Turning Points, which operates, I think, both in Canada and the U.S. and has massive uh backing which obviously they will they fund some trollish elements like your ben shapiro types or whatever <laughs> to me those are separate um separate movements almost uh no i disagree um isn't it the case that um, this effect of a, a sense of a diminishing future or a material experience of a diminishing uh, future is is a, a direct result of um the policies no, of those yeah, right No, yeah, of course, that's not tanks. what I meant. I mean, yeah. there is an organic reaction to that to that mm-hmm. phenomenon, which is what you see in the alt right yeah. for the most part, except for those um, those organized movements. Um, yep. And then there is there is the moneyed interests sort of helping to stoke that fire, um, because it works for you know electoral purposes or whatever. Even though actually in the long mm-hmm. run. I feel like they're they're like unleashing chaos demons that threaten to destroy everything, which is of course yeah. what happens. Um, that's like the heart of capitalism is is you know that not to be too Marxisty about it, but you know so is the seeds of its own destruction and all that. Um, it's 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 subconsciously very good at that, um, and but also reproducing itself. Yes, uh, it's yeah, you might call that dialectical. Um, but I wouldn't, I know you wouldn't. (laughs) And that's why, I mean, we can, I feel like to, again, I'm always trying to tie the show back into our our roots as as a tech podcast and think about, well, does the internet help, uh, or does it hurt in terms of magnifying and, uh, and swallowing up these various, these various forces. And I think, I mean, I think the jury's still out on that. I'm not, I'm not really convinced that we would be better off with, without, getting all this shit out in the open in in these communities that we can view and track and sort of 
make something, try to make some sort of sense out of. I think it's a bit, well, it's capillary, right? I mean, I think it, I think it depends which internet you're using, right? And, and what you're using it for. Um, so yeah, I think you're right in that the jury's out. But the internet is like a, it, 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 I don't know if I think of it as one internet necessarily, I guess. Um, like you said earlier, it, everything is really quite contingent on, on where you're located, right? And how you're accessing the internet and then, you know, what you're doing on there and, and for what reasons. As for kind of the troll, like, I guess, you know, in terms of like the, the, the individual, individualistic kind of manifestations of the alt-right, which, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you're giving a lot of weight to people's abilities and their intelligence. I don't think it's that thought out. Oh, I don't think it's necessarily thought out at all. I mean, I think that if you if you have a darkening future, I don't think you're necessarily thinking about the fact of why it's happening, you know, um, how... But do you think most people even think about a darkening future? I, th- I don't think I th- they do. Well, I, whether or not they think about it, I think they sense it. Uh, I don't know. I think people are like, whoa, there's a new Apple Watch. Yeah, but I don't think those... <laughs> yeah, but I don't think those people make up the alt-right. Like, I don't think that the people... <laughs> I don't think, generally speaking, the people who are out there like trying to dox sex workers or whatever the fuck it is they're doing, are the ones who are who are just like happy consumers, like who are well positioned oh. and 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 make enough money to buy the new iPhone. I think they. I mean, I think some, some of, of them, them are. are. I think some of them love eating overcooked steak with ketchup, and you know, uh, just. They buy it from the store. They don't really think critically about stuff, um, and they use technology extremely uncritically. I think the same goes for the you know a lot of the left. I, I mean, I don't think most people paid close attention, right? I mean, I think um, uh, there was a uh, an article about this this coffee shop in um, I think it was near Brown University, where you get a free coffee if you're a student if you give your personal information up. I don't know if I is, saw this, but that's that's I probably creepy. just didn't. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Um, and, you know, there was this kind of, um, this one student was quoted, at, well, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the, the actual quotation, but something like, you know, I don't find it's like super risky because like they already have my information. Um, and I think that type of thinking applies not just to personal data and like the commodification um, uh, of data and space, but also to people's many many people's um interactions and and relationships to various technologies be they um technologies that produce the digital um of the digital or like that are mediating um life with the digital and so yeah i don't know i i guess i just assume most people just go about their days looking for that sweet apple watch i don't even know what it's called (laughs) (laughs) is it an iwatch no that's not a thing no, it's not a thing. Um, I think, yeah, it, consumer capitalism is extremely seductive. And even your trolls and your alt-right figures are going to succumb to uh, to its beauty. But I don't know. When I, <laughs> when I think about the, the alt-right and incels, which are like a deeply interconnected group of people, and I think about incels a lot because they're sort of recently the more fatal bunch. They're scary. Or they're, ho- homicidal. Mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think of them as being creatures uh, attracted to beauty. I think of them, or or seduced by consumer culture. I think of them as extremely self-loathing and otherwise loathing creatures 
who uh, I, I really cannot recommend enough that everyone watches the ContraPoints video about incels and the way that they use community because it is mm. it, it's so overwhelmingly negative. It's all about, you know, telling telling you why you're shit, telling other people why they're shit. It is so much further from consumer culture or like the mainstream than anything adbusters could ever be. It is so crazy and out there and like I wouldn't call it subversive, but it's just like it's not fit for for it's not fit for humans to encounter this kind of stuff. It's just so <laughs> negative and horrible. And like no, and it and people have already you know there's I forget what the term for it is, but these posts are full of suicide fuel. It's just like it is mm. it is a it's a it's a death cult. It's not a subculture really. It's uh, it's something totally different. Yeah, well you know I think uh, they just need twelve rules for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to tie it back into our original subject, again I I do think that the the incels and the trolls are very closely connected. But I, I don't see, I, I can see the connection between trolls and culture jamming in terms of just like having that, that goal where all you care about is owning the libs or triggering the libs or whatever. But then I think about the incels and that seems to me like a, which I do think of as an arm of the alt-right and trolls. Um, I think of that as a totally, not totally separate phenomenon, but in terms of, um, in terms of intent, it is not connected, I don't think. Wait, wait. Uh, maybe I'm betraying my age and stupidity here, but um, which is often the case. Are do incels see themselves as culture jamming? I don't think so, but I, but I don't think that the alt like we're gonna culture jam by killing people. I don't think that the I don't think that I mean I don't think that the alt right does either. Or do they just use a different word? Rosemary, any thoughts? Well, I think incels are completely deadly serious yeah there's yeah. a total lack of lack of irony oh yeah there's no irony involved not yeah. zero fucking yeah. irony dead serious yeah. yeah um yeah my understanding is that they're just hateful fucks but they also i mean they yeah. do see society as being sick they see it as diseased in the same in kind of a similar way to how the editors of adbusters see society as diseased the problem of course is that is that they see the disease as the sexual marketplace and Adbuster sees it as, you know, just the marketplace, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I guess they're connected in that way. But obviously the prescriptions uh, that you might derive from that would be very different. Um, I will say that something I found fascinating is that the fact that I saw someone made a pamphlet um, designed to get people who believe in the Illuminati um, to instead believe in communism. <laughs> and um, I thought like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. And I, I'm... I've sort of made this argument with people in real life and they haven't liked that I've done this, but I, I, there needs to be some sort of way to retrain people who have been, uh, who have been red pilled or whatever into the alt-right or any of these horrible, horrible institutions to just become staunch anti-capitalists instead. Cause it's way more fun. People will like you more. You'll make more friends. Uh, and you will probably become less loathsome over time. You may not even murder anyone or you'll murder the, the right people. Deprogramming. <laughs> yeah. Or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's got to be something that's done because we can't just write off these groups of people. I mean, some of them you're going to have to, obviously, but um, we're talking about a lot of people now. Yeah, I say write them off. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can get them to recant. I mean, yeah, that's a big question. I think that's a broader issue that taps into not just kind of the fundamental... um, interest that we all had with regards to technology and politics, but politics in general is, you know, what are the limits 
what are the limits of, of the way that we interact with, with people who don't share our values, who don't share our political leanings, our beliefs? It's a bigger question, I think. And how does technology play into that? Uh, quite a bit. I think one of the things that's interesting to me is how uh, a lot of, I don't know, we've, we've kind of had informal conversations about this, but that just almost, I, I kind of think of it in the following terms, the progression towards kind of alt-right to pre-insult to incel in my mind um, has to do, it's like quite incremental. And the people that I know who've kind of um, crossed that chasm um, to hell and uh, they get often wrapped up in, in these types of narratives surrounding, um, again, that solutionism, I think that pervades a lot of tech industries and sectors, this notion of like a computational way of thinking that, you know, oh, okay, well, you need to learn how to code, you need to like figure out how to use math, you need to be thoughtful about how you engage with technology. And, and, uh, but then that goes the other way, too. And, and this is, you know, these are ideas that I've taken from James Bridle, um, New Dark Age, uh, the idea that it goes the other way that like, you shouldn't have to know how a toilet works to shit in it, you have a plumber for that, right? Like the kind of these almost multiplicitous ways of understanding technology and politics kind of in parallel and also interweaving together as these um, things that you should solve, but also not solve, maybe, um, you just have to know where you stand with them. Um, so I don't know what the connections are there, but I think there's something to unpack with regards to the transition to the alt-right and then murderous assholes. Well, I, we should be wrapping this up. We, I know we've kind of gone all over the place, but uh, I think we've got more than enough to work with. Rosemary, any final thoughts? This was, after all, your uh, your your baby. Keep on culture jamming, people. <laughs> I, You're taking a pro-culture jamming stance? So absolutely. Oh, yeah. is that what we're doing? All right. Um, clearly not all culture jamming is equal. You know, if your definition of culture jamming is putting a picture up on a McDonald's wall, maybe reevaluate your goals in life. Maybe aim a little higher. <laughs> I think you can do better. I think we can all do better. I know I can. So that's your, your takeaway. I guess mine is, uh, you know what? To me, culture jamming is, is showing love. What? Um, yeah. Showing love, finding joy, not in like kind of a like, ooh, lean in. Shell Sandard kind of way, but um, you know, like go paint a pole in your neighborhood. Shows Here's the, the fucking kindness. Vancouver outlook right here. <laughs> I'm not from Vancouver. I live in Victoria. Same difference. Um, no, not at all. Don't you dare. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think there are ways to uh, grasp the affirmative um, online and offline, and um, I encourage you to do so. One way would be to listen to podcast like hacks um <laughs> i i agree i agree like those kids who did that uh, mcdonald's action what would have been called an action in the past uh they it's um maybe if they had a better program maybe if they actually had uh, non-dysfunctional politics that they could identify with they wouldn't resort to just a, a cosmetic uh, type of um Intervention. Does someone want to sign them up with an AdBusters subscription? <laughs> By the way, this exists. Um, I think, yeah, and for those Canadian listeners who live in, you know, there's there are some municipal elections coming up. You know, that's one space where you can, like I said, grasp the affirmative and, like, try to make, like, jam the shitty culture surrounding municipal politics in Canada. Um, support, you know, thoughtful candidates that fight the good fight to turn your zeros into ones or whatever yeah okay well 
I could go on about this shit forever, but we got to wrap it up. Uh, Simon's disappointed. What? No, it's fine. I'm always disappointed. Um, anyway. On October 20th, if you're in Toronto, vote for Simon at Hollow Mines for your next mayor. Oh. October 22nd. 22nd, 22nd sorry. 22nd, yeah. <laughs> Five days after pot is legal. P- fucking perfect timing. Oh, man. Yeah. That's... Yeah. All right. Join uh, Simon at Hollow Minds for yeah, a party. So that is my uh, my my Twitter handle, Hollow Minds. Rob, who has had to leave us, uh, is at RG Scherf. Morale is at Snootlet, and Rosemary is at Rose M Heather. Do like, rate, subscribe, and uh, if you have any feedback for us, you can send it to admin at hacks.fm, and we will get back to you in a timely fashion. And that is about it. Thank you all for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Airboy has got the numbers. Peppy's got the gas. All the leopards in their camouflage. Hiding in the grass. And the armadillo's armored. The eagles on the wing. Still they don't go for vendettas, man. They take it on the chin. No, 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 no ideology. But then I do know about a monkey living high up in a tree. You ever think about his coconuts? He'll kill your family. And he's really gotta learn to let things go. Like a lion with her pride. She don't be gross, no porcupine. He don't be gross, no lion.